Vampires and Slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date, which means today we're talking about season 5, episode 12, I think. Checkpoint. You guys ready? Are you guys ready? I just realized I did not get out my little episode guide. You guys, I have, like, no studying to do for Buffy anymore because, like, I have my little episode guide, but that's really easy to read through that really quickly. But um, my YouTube series recap, Buffy recap series that I like to watch from The Passionate Nerd on YouTube, um, he is now, like, it takes him, he does really awesome editing for his videos, so it takes him a little while to get them up, and... um, I have now surpassed him <laughs> in episodes, so I can't watch his videos because um, I'm further along in my recap than he is in his. And um, my the Buffy podcast that I listen to, I just kind of stopped listening to. Um, they're ahead of me, but I just kind of, I don't know, for some reason I stopped listening to I just don't listen to as many podcasts anymore. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I guess I, all my thoughts are my own whatever. <laughs> okay. According to the episode, the Buffy episode guide by Nikki Stafford entitled Bite Me, the summary for this episode is the Watcher's Council shows up with information about Glory, but must put Buffy and her friends, but must put, but that's just a weird way to word that, but must put Buffy and her friends through a series of tests before she is deemed worthy enough to know more. Um, okay. I probably shouldn't have read that yet because the first thing we need to talk about. Okay. So I watched the angel episode. The angel episode aired. First of all, okay. I'm just like diving headfirst into this when I don't need to. I just did a, um, I just got a tarot reading order and it was for one of my 10 minute readings, which I offer because, you know, it's nice to just like do a quick thing to have that as something that people can like dip their toe in and see if they want to get a bigger reading from me. But I am really nervous during 10 minute tarot reading, um, orders for when somebody orders a 10 minute reading from me, it makes me really nervous. And I start talking really, really fast because I'm not really, I'm kind of the dive deep bitch. I'm not really good at like just pulling a couple cards and saying a couple of surface level things and just being like, okay, bye. Um, I really wanted to like go in and I couldn't. So I think I'm just like, I'm still sort of like feeling like I'm on a time limit, but I'm not on a time limit. You guys, we can hang out. We can chill. I can talk for two hours and sometimes I do. Um, okay. So how are you guys? Are you doing all right? Um, I am just like, I just want to take a second. I did this on my radio show. Let's take a couple of deep breaths. We have a new president. Um, you know, at the very least, you know, like the whole like Republican versus Democrat thing is just like, it's real tired at this point. Like I don't actually identify as either of those things 
both of those things are imperfect, but, um, I always vote Democrat because it's like, it's the better of, you know, I hate, that's such a cliche to say it's the lesser of two evils, but like it kind of is the lesser of two evils. Um, but I think that we are actually on the precipice of some really great positive changes. I don't think I've ever been as, I've definitely never been as relieved at the end of a present presidency before, but like, anyway, we made it guys. We fucking made it. <laughs> Oh, that's my reminder. Why do I have a reminder on my phone? <laughs> anyway, I hope you guys are okay. I hope you guys are feeling that sort of lovely sense of relief. Um, my grandparents just got vaccinated. So um, that's a really big relief for me because they're both in their 80s and it's, it's good. It's good. I'm happy. <laughs> um, okay let's get into it, I guess. I guess I just want to go for it today. So the angel episode, the angel episode, like the 20 year later, 20 years later date for the angel episode that, that coincided with the Buffy episode. They are on at this point in time, 20 years ago, they have, they're on two separate networks now, Buffy and angel. So they're not always going to be on the same night. The, um, the angel episode was, um, last week. So I did watch it today because I'm not going to worry about watching angel on the exact day. I just kind of like to, I'm still in the moment. I'm trying to keep up with angel, even though right now I'm just so frustrated. So I'm going to talk about it for a second. The episode of angel was called redefinition. Yes. So previously on Angel, Angel had just at the very end of the last episode fired Cordelia Wesley and Gunn. They were just sort of confronting him about his obsession with Darla and how and how crazy he's gotten. He's he just did that thing where he shut all those lawyers in a room with Drusilla and Darla and, and let them die even though they were human. Um his whole, so he is just trying to disconnect himself from everyone. This entire episode is, so he fires everyone and he spends the entire episode like training and, and like torturing demons for information on Drusilla and Darla. And like, he kills all these guys that were going to like fight for their spot as minions of Drusilla and Darla. Um, He's just being really ruthless and single-minded and obsessing. Like, this whole obsession with Darla thing that he's doing, which I guess is supposed to be the whole season arc plotline. I mean, for some reason, I didn't remember that <laughs> going in. And it's, I was thinking, okay, well, he's going to be obsessed with Darla for a few episodes, I guess. Let's get on with it. But it's just dragging. So it just keeps dragging and dragging. And I just can't stand it anymore. You guys it is so ridiculous. Like there was one scene in this whole episode that I enjoyed. And it was the scene, the first scene where you see Drusilla and Darla together. And like, 
that was actually a really good performance from Julie Benz as Darla, and I don't usually think that she's that great of an actor, but in that moment, she was really, she was really bringing it, I think, and she had a good balance of her, like, sort of, like, she wasn't doing her husky baby voice, she was kind of, it was a little bit deeper, which makes me think that's what her real voice actually sounds like, um, and she, I don't know, that was that scene, I was feeling it, and, like, Drusilla and Darla together, I feel like for some weird reason, they were styling Drusilla so strange. Like if you guys watch this episode, let me, let me know what you think. But like that final outfit in particular, Drusilla was wearing like a pink ribbed turtleneck sweater. Like what? Drusilla wears like Victorian satin dresses and shit. Like, that's what Drusilla wears. And if you want her to, like, look a little bit different, like, put her in a tailored suit or something. You know, she's not exuding any power as this form of Drusilla. It's like they had, it's like they thought they needed to play her down in her styling so that she would look like she was second fiddle to Darla and, like, the links that they had to go to to make Juliet Landau as Drusilla have less presence than fucking Darla was just absurd and they never should have done that. <laughs> I don't like that I there was just too there's too much antagonism between like I was really looking forward to like yes I remember this as being Darla and Drusilla like teaming up and being badasses badass bitches together but it really didn't play. It's not actually playing that way because, you know, Drusilla's doing her thing. Juliet Landau is doing her thing. But Julie Benz, she's really Juliet, Julie, Juliet, Julie, um, as Darla is, I don't, I don't know. She's bringing it sometimes. And sometimes it looks like they're having an interesting interplay together because, because Juliet Landau is a dancer as Drusilla, or I'm just trying to, like I keep saying Juliet, just in case you don't know, <laughs> she's Drusilla. Um, since she's a dancer, she really plays Drusilla in, in a very musical way. She's always moving into all of her line deliveries, and you can't see me, but I'm doing snake arms right now. <laughs> and she is just so expressive, and her, you know, she part of her language is the movement of her body. You know, that's why her and James Marsters as Spike worked so well together because he also is very, like, not in a dancerly way with him, but James Marsters is very much, he acts with his whole body. Like, when he takes a swig of Jack from the bottle, he's, like, scooting his whole body into it. Like, I don't even know how to, like... I don't know how to emulate it, and I don't have to just know how to describe it. But you know what I'm saying. Like, you've seen him take a swig from a whiskey bottle, and when he does it, his whole body is in it, you know? And that level of acting is something that Juliet Landau, Landau does as Drusilla, but it's not something that Julie Benz really does. So... Not to say that you have to be that kind of actor to play against 
Juliet Landau, but like she's you can see that she's trying to do her Drusilla thing and she's trying to play against Julie as Darla, but it's just not sometimes it connects a little bit, but the disdain that Darla seems to have for Drusilla is just it it hasn't aged well, I guess, is what it is. Like, they play more as rivals than sisters. And I think... I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me that Darla doesn't really want to be teamed up with Drusilla. It's just who's there. She really wants to be with Angel, and she wants to throw Drusilla in the street. She's never had any respect for her. And I hate that narrative, because they were a part of a vampire troupe together for decades. And the way that they play this up with the dynamics, you know, because it was Spike and Drusilla, Darla and Angel for decades. They were together. They were a family. And the way that they play it is that Spike and Angel have always hated each other. And Drusilla and Darla have always hated each other. And that doesn't make any sense. Like, why wouldn't they all have a certain level, especially as vampires, they should all be polyamorous together, for one thing, but they should all, like, have some kind of relationship with each other. I don't know. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> anyway, this episode was tiring. I did enjoy the scene. I always love, like, when characters that don't normally act silly in general get drunk together and, like, truths comes out like I always love those types of scenes so when Cordelia um Wesley and Gunn all went to the karaoke bar they didn't go there together but they all just ended up there whatever I liked that they just sort of like sat around and drank and kind of like talked and I enjoyed that scene and I enjoyed the like the first power play scene of Drusilla and Darla um, whenever she came to, whenever they went to Wolfram and Hart and like, whatever. Anyway, but I'm just so sick of this whole narrative. And like that scene, there was a scene towards the end of the episode where it's pretty much the, the whole end of this thing. Like, do we even see Drusilla and Darla anymore? Yeah, we do because Darla's not pregnant yet. Oh my God, how does that even happen? Because Darla gets pregnant with Angel's baby, but how does that happen? Is there some sort of weird obsession rapey thing coming? Like, I don't remember how it happens, but I know that by the end of the season, he's going to have a baby. And how does that work? I have no idea. I have no idea how it happens. Maybe it's a mystical conception. It's an immaculate conception. Anyway, we don't have to talk about that yet, but I just suddenly remembered. Oh shit, how is that going to happen? This whole like angel being obsessed with Darla thing is just, it doesn't make narrative sense to me. Like I get that angel is an obsessive person and he's going through something right now or whatever or whatever, but they're just playing it in such an over-the-top way and I just I'm just not on board at all and I'm starting to think like do I like this show do I like it at all right now I enjoy little moments and it's not like like if I were just casually watching it and not watching it in order to like analyze it with you guys if I wasn't analyzing it and just watching it I'd be like 
you know, whatever. I'd probably be half paying attention, kind of like, I don't know, play with my phone, whatever. Um, and finding it perfectly fine, but like actually like thinking about it and watching it in a critical way is just, it's not holding up to any criticism at all. Like, I'm just not liking it right now. Milky, she ain't liking it too much. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Sorry, that's a RuPaul All-Stars 4 reference? 3? 4? I don't know. The one with Shangela in it, because she was the one that said that. Um, okay. Milky, she ain't liking it too much. Let's move on. Let's talk about Checkpoint, the Buffy episode that's actually... Like, I don't think I thought about this until a few days ago, but this is kind of the perfect episode to talk about after a historical inauguration of, like, dismantling uh, a patriarchal reign, <laughs> um, standing up to someone that has had us under their thumb, um, kind of perfect, right? So this is the one where Buffy stands up to the Watchers Council, and it's a really good episode. Like, I really enjoyed it a lot, actually, from beginning to end. It was like, okay... This is a good episode. This is funny. This is lighthearted. This is, it's got a lot of good emotional impact moments. Um, yeah, I like it a lot. So let's talk about it, shall we? That's what we're here for. Okay. <laughs> um, I almost just don't even want to look at my notes. I just want to, just do want to talk, you know, not look at my notes. Plus we're in candlelight, so it's hard to even see my notes and I insist upon doing it. Okay, so the episode opens with um, Giles has called every called a Scooby meeting at Buffy's house, apparently. So I really liked the scene. I really liked the, the feeling of this moment for some reason. It was just like everybody hanging out in Buffy's living room, which we're going to see a lot more of. Like Buffy's house really becomes home base for, for everything, you know, season five on. Um, so it's nice to see that setting sort of starting to actually take center stage. I don't know. Um, I liked that, you know, we've seen some character growth and bonding between Anya and everybody, between Tara and everybody. Like, we've seen some developments that are really positive and bringing everybody closer together. And, like, I think that this the seating arrangement in this scene was just, it made me happy. Like it was just a very short scene, but like it was just the opener, you know, the pre-credits opener, but it had, um, Anya was in the middle on the couch and Tara and Willow were on either side of her and they just all looked very comfortable sitting on a couch together. And I love that being that like, you know, the relationship with Anya and Tara both, the relationship w between everyone and Anya has been sort of antagonistic up until like, you know, recently and the relationship with Tara and everyone else has been sort of reluctant until recently. So it's nice to see like everybody kind of being comfortable with each other and couples aren't ne necessarily sitting next to each other because Xander's sitting by himself in a chair and you know, Tara and Willow, Anya's in the middle. And I don't, for some reason it just, it warmed my heart to see that particular arrangement of seating. I don't know why, but it did. So Giles is there to tell them, like, we, I guess we're supposed to think it's late at night because at one point Dawn is coming down the stairs and she's wearing pajamas and her mom sees her and asks her why she's up this late. 
or whatever. So maybe Giles had just gotten back into town because he had gone to England to visit with the Watchers Council because they have information about glory. And so he went to get that information. But he was calling everyone together to let them know that the Watchers Council is coming to give Buffy the information. And you could tell he's sort of uncomfortable, like he doesn't really know what it means that they're coming. He knows that Buffy's not going to like that they're coming. And of course she's not. And there's this really cute moment where Tara's like, but why are we not excited? Aren't they? It's the Watchers Council. It's just a bunch of Gileses, right? <laughs> and there's all of Anthony Stewart Head's acting is always good, but it's it was especially good in this episode because there were a lot of moments. I mean, he always has this, but in this episode, there particularly were a lot of moments where you could see him just reacting to things where he doesn't have lines necessarily, but he's just reacting to things. Like every time he's in the shot, he's doing so much, even if he's not the focus of attention. Um, but that right after, you know, Tara was like, it's just a bunch of Gileses, right? And he kind of makes this cute little face, like this little smirky face, like, hey, Tara thinks I'm cool or whatever. It was just cute. Um, so this is a weird, it was like sort of a weird, awkward situation. Like you can tell that, like for a second, I thought, what, why is this so awkward? Is Are Buffy and Giles about to tell everybody that Dawn is the key? Because they don't know yet. Um, but that's not what happened. It's just Buffy's acting strange because her and Giles have the secret and she almost like kind of says something like they're not used to keeping things from everyone. Like this is like the first time I think like, I mean, there's probably been other like little moments where Giles and Buffy had talked about something that they don't share with everyone else. But this is like the first time that I can remember like a big secret being kept just between the two of them, which is cool because like, it's cool that she just implicitly trusts him with this information. But at this point, Joyce knows too. And the last time they had a conversation about the key in Buffy's house, it was Buffy, Giles and Joyce. And they were talking openly about it. And right now they can't talk openly about it. So it makes sense that like right before he was leaving for England, they had a an open conversation about it. And this is the next time they're talking most likely still in that same house, but they have to be guarded. I don't know. It's just, there was a lot going on. That's kind of like behind the scenes that I feel like the actors knew and they played to those things, but it wasn't necessarily like in the script on the, on the, you know, in the scene, it wasn't written. It was just, they were playing those nuances and I could feel them, you know, so it's like, it was great. The opposite of my experience watching that fucking angel episode. Let me tell you. Anyway. <laughs> um, and it feels like they're just like, at this point, they're, you know, most of these actors are five years into playing these characters and like, you can just really feel their comfort within these spaces and with each other and like, I don't know. Everything's just working. Everyone's doing a great job. Now Marty Noxon is the showrunner. So maybe they're even more comfortable. Like maybe it was weird with Joss, you know, like I'm not saying Joss is a terrible person. I know I act like I think he is, but, um, I just think he's a man and he's a misogynistic man. Like a lot of them are hashtag not all men, but you know, 
Okay, where else? What else do we have here? So, oh, at one point, Buffy, you know, part of this awkwardness, she says, I have to take care of Dawn. And Xander's like, well, that's nothing new. Like, what are you talking about? I have to take care of Dawn. Um, and Dawn's coming down the stairs as she says this. So Dawn knows. Like, she overheard part of the conversation between Buffy, Joyce, and um, Giles enough to, like, be like, what? Why are they talking about me in such a weird way? But not to know, like, what's happening. So it's... They're building up the sort of plot point of, like, Dawn is going to really need to know what the fuck is going on pretty soon. And it's amping up kind of slowly. And they're doing a good job at, like, planting the seeds for that. Um, then we get the next scene is Glory is, she's very pale and sweaty. She looks like she's going through some sort of drug withdrawals. And we find out the minions bring her a postal worker that she can eat his brain and then she's fine. So, you know, and they tell her that like the astrological, I not astrological, but the, the timing of like getting a hold of the key needs to happen sooner than they thought. And she's like, well, no big deal. I'll just go talk to the slayer. She probably knows where the key is. Um, just let's get some business stuff out of the way now that I'm thinking about it. Um, so we don't have an episode to talk about next week, the 30th, but I think every single Saturday in February, yes, one, two, three, yeah. So no, I'll be back in two weeks to talk about, and then you guys prepare yourself because it's coming. Oh, maybe not. Yes, it is. Okay. So two weeks from today, we'll talk about blood ties, three weeks, crush, four weeks, I was made to love you, which means if you're like me and you hear the words, I was made to love you as a Buffy episode, you know what comes after that, the body. So roughly a month from today, a month and a few days from today. Okay. There'll be a lot of crying. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to cry on the podcast, but I'll be crying while I watch it. I'll tell you that. Um, anyway, so I don't know why I just talked about that, but whatever. Um, so Glory eats the postal worker. I like that she calls Buffy Mousy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> I just, I almost want to just start calling her that. Um, Oh, this was just a silly little thing. So the next day, it's like the, the magic box is super busy. And um, Giles is helping this cute little goth girl. I want to look exactly like this chick. She she gets outfitted the episode, so I might as well just describe right now. You couldn't even see her full outfit, but I'm giving her outfit of the episode because no one else had anything. No one else was wearing anything cute, like at all. So... Oh, except Anya was wearing like a, a wrap, wrap around dress too in the scene and her ass looked great. You guys looked real good. Like that, those wrap around dresses, they don't work on a lot of people, but they worked on Anya slash Emma Caulfield. Okay. So <laughs> the little goth girl, she had like Betty Page bangs she had a cute little jewel on her forehead, um, just like a white jewel, not like a cultural appropriation jewel. 
just like a nice little understated jewel. Um, she had, um, I don't remember what her lipstick was. It's probably just a dark shade of some kind. And, um, she was wearing like a, like a beaded black cardigan with like black beads. So it just sort of sparkled. You could just sort of see that it was embroidered and like a sheer top and a couple of necklaces and some cute earrings. Like you couldn't really tell what anything was because you just sort of saw her for a second while Giles was talking to her. But, and she was wearing like a floor length skirt of the time, you know, 2001. <laughs> um, those sort of like, oh, I wore so many of those skirts. Like they were just sort of like elastic waist floor length, like velvet or satin or whatever. And they were just sort of straight line skirts. Oh, I want some more of those. They were like a little tight on your ass, but then they sort of flowed all the way to the ground. You know, I need more of those. I need, I need to get back into that. The, the skirt life, you know, the long skirt life. <laughs> anyway, she gets out for the episode cause she looked so cute and she was in the whole scene, like in the background and stuff. So magic so shop, super busy. The watchers council is there and they immediately start flexing their stupid little power muscles. And they tell every, tell all the customers like the store is closed today. Get out. You know, they grab a crystal ball from one chick and like kick them all out. And there's like fully 25 people in the shop, which when are there ever, like usually it's just them, <laughs> but right now they're busy for some reason because the plot demands it. Um, but yeah, so the Watchers Council just kicks everyone out, closes Giles' shop. Then they throw all these fucking threats around. They, they threaten to get him deported and Giles is doing so much work too. Like Anthony Stewart had so, so many facial expressions. He's so angry when they are like, he's understatedly angry whenever they threaten to deport him. But when they're like, when they're threatening Buffy, he is livid every time throughout this whole episode. Like every time they're like, you know, being condescending towards her in any way, which is every fucking thing that comes out of that Quentin guy's mouth is condescending towards Buffy. And he is so livid every time they're being disrespectful to her. And he's so defensive of her. And it is... It's beautiful. It's it's my favorite part of this whole episode, him being defensive of Buffy. You can tell that like their relationship really has come a long way. You know, he was assigned to her as a watcher and he found her kind of annoying when he first met her. And now they are so solid and he cares about her so much and you really see it in this episode. Like not only with him getting angry whenever they're being condescending towards her. But there's another point, like towards the end of the episode, when she, when she comes in and the first thing he says to her is, was there an attack? Because she comes in holding a sword, kind of looking dazed. And, um, he says, yes, she says, yes. And she starts to talk about like when she's in her whole speech, telling off the council at the end of the episode, she says something about glory coming into her house and Giles immediately is like, Oh my God, are, are you hurt? Are you okay? You know, like he immediately jumps in and wants to know, like, obviously she's standing there, so she's okay. But like the fact that like, no matter what's going on, it doesn't matter because he cares about her so much. I mean, he has 
essentially made her his life at this point. And it's not something that he is not in it's not in an obsessive way. It's not something that he like brings up. It's not something that he he ever holds over her head. But his entire life is in England and he's up until now, whenever he gets reinstated as an official watcher, he's not even an official watcher anymore. And he's still there. He's still there for her. And sometimes it's been a very thankless job. Until recently, he felt like maybe there was no reason for him to be there anymore. And he was almost going to leave. And, like, it's just... The way that they're playing up all the interpersonal relationships in this season, like, I've never really thought about it this way, but it's like, they are doing so much with with so little. Um, they're really, like, planting seeds for future relationships that are very subtle, but if you're paying attention, you see it. You know, all the shit between um, Buffy and Spike is, like, they're not even going to have any sort of, like, they're not going to have a sexual relationship. Hey, if this is the first time you're tuning in, this is not a spoiler-free Buffy podcast. Okay, so they're not even going to have a sexual relationship until like a year from now, maybe more. And they're already really like putting little breadcrumbs all over the place. Not just with like him being obsessed with her, which is what I always thought. I always thought that like Spike was the one that was just obsessed with Buffy, but Buffy is kind of into him already, even at this point. Like, you see, I don't know, you just see it. Anyway, let's go back to my notes. Because <laughs> I'm going way ahead of myself. Mousy the Vampire Slayer, super cute goth chick. Anya's ass looks great. Made that point, yes. Needs to be said when she's walking away in that wrap dress. I'm just like, yeah, girl, that's exactly the ass that you want to have for that dress. Yes. Um, oh, I was just outraged when I, like, in the background. And there was even just, like, a tiny little glance that, like, again, Anthony Stewart Head doing the most all the time. Um, like, they were, like, getting tea or something because he has this little tea cart in the magic shop, you know. He's always making everybody tea. And, and they were like just taking over his tea cart after they had shut the magic box down and they were using his tea and stuff. And he just kind of like had this weird little like head jerk reaction. Like you're touching my tea cart. You're touching my tea cart. <laughs> Don't fuck with Giles's tea cart. And Hey, minty mug sighting. My mom gets full credit for this one because he didn't like use the minty mug in this episode, but it was on the little cart in his little tea cart area in the magic box magic shop magic box it is called magic box yes okay anyway um so i was just kind of outraged for him that they were using his tea cart like come on he's the host here but they're taking over they're flexing their fucking power muscles and it really bugs me um, then the next scene is like, so Buffy isn't there cause she's at school at this point. So the next scene, um, is Buffy in school and she's sort of yawning and she's sort of bored. She's in history class and this really bugged me, but I guess this is part of the, I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about it until just now, like at the end of the episode when Buffy's like, everybody's just been lining up lately to tell me like how unimportant I am. And I thought, 
and I just didn't think until this very moment that that includes this teacher because this teacher is just fucking being super condescending towards her. Like she seems bored, whatever. And he asks her for her thoughts or whatever it is. And she starts bringing up interesting points about Rasputin. And like, she's just basically like my note was Buffy gets in trouble for critical thinking because that's all it is. Like basically she's, she's demonstrating, like if I were a teacher, I would see that the student is demonstrating that she's listening, that she um, is paying attention to the material and she's reacting to it. In, in a, she's not just memorizing facts, she's reacting to it as a human being. Like, well, okay, that's interesting. What does that mean? And what is this? And she's asking questions like she did at the initiative and he doesn't like it. And this is a little contrary to what I think college professors usually are because in my experience anyway, obviously extremely anecdotal, but in my experience, like, college professors really like it whenever you're like, whenever you push back and you're like, it shows that when you're listening and you have questions about it and you want to know, well, what's that about? Then it shows that you're paying attention and they like that shit and they want to have those sorts of conversations. Cause most of the time, like college professors are just nerds with whatever subject they're teaching, you know? And I just, that guy sucked. Anyway, um, then afterwards, Buffy's like, you know, fighting out her frustrations at her teacher, just like singling her out in class because he basically just like intentionally tried to make her feel small in front of the entire class. And you've seen Buffy go through that particular situation. Like they've used that plot device so many times of some random teacher making Buffy feel small in front of an entire classroom. Like we've seen it at least, this is at least the third or fourth time we've seen this. We might have even seen it more than that at this point. Question, is this the last time we see Buffy in class? Like ever? Because she's about to drop out forever. It's just, I'm just curious. Like when is the last time we see her in class? I want to make note of that in my mind. So she's like venting her frustrations while she's beating up a vampire in the cemetery and then spike shows up and takes over and dusts the guy real quick and so of course she's annoyed with him but and then spike the gaslighting negging spike he just starts saying all this shit to her like i remembered spike whenever he had a crush on buffy i remembered him just like being super sweet to her all the time. I remember him just being a little puppy dog in love with her and wanting to do anything for her. But so far, I am very wrong about that. Like, he has been antagonistic to her. And, like, in this scene, he's, like, he starts, like, criticizing her for not being able to keep a man and like starts talking about like, well, maybe your beauty's fading. Maybe things are sagging and like whatever. And like, maybe there's something wrong with you. And like, he's just getting in there and like feeding on her insecurities, which tells me like, I knew he was an abusive 
future boyfriend, but I didn't really realize how much because he's already sort of getting in there and trying to foster insecurities in her. And those insecurities are going to build. It's simultaneously like her trust in him is going to build at the same time as these sort of manipulative manipulative tactics of his because he knows how to do this he knows how to get into people's heads and make them think what he wants them to think we've seen him do this many times and i don't think i made the connection before now that he's doing that with buffy to get her to love him and or to, he doesn't even really give a shit you know he's he's a soulless vampire he doesn't actually at this point think to himself that he wants Buffy to love him. He just wants Buffy to fuck him. That's all. And right now he's doing what he knows how to do. He's getting in there. He's weaseling in and he's trying to change her thought patterns and he's gaslighting her. And I don't know. I, I'm curious to see how much he does of this. Like, is this a thing that he, I know it's a thing that he does whenever they are, in a relationship together. I know that he does a lot of like, oh, that fucking scene, you guys. Like, obviously this is like over a year from now, but that's a really upsetting scene whenever she's like, he's like having sex with her from behind on the balcony at the bronze. And it's like, he's, t he's like whispering in her ear from behind her as they're fucking. And he's saying, like, look at your friends, you know, they're not, they're in a totally different world from you. And you're up here in the shadows with me. And he's just saying all this shit. And it's just like so fucking creepy. And what I hate is that I still like him, you know, like I like Spike because he vacillates between like that sort of manipulative asshole that is so like so many abusive boyfriends that we've all had, right? He vacillates between that and being like so loyal that we'll do anything. For he'll go get his fucking soul for her. And he'll like, you know, we're about to see the moment where like he lets himself get tortured and beaten almost to death. That's only a few episodes from now after he knows who the key is and glory has taken him because she suspects that it might be him and then she thinks maybe he knows so she tortures him to get the information from him and he won't give it up he'd rather die than give up that information so it's like how do these two things exist in one person for one thing they don't because those manipulative assholes that gaslight you and neg you and treat you like shit whoever needs to hear this right now somebody needs to hear this right now <laughs> Um, so if you do, uh, tune in, I guess, um, those fucking assholes are not the assholes. This, I, I just feel like we're supposed to think he's a terrible person. We are, but it's hard to think that whenever you see him s potentially sacrificing his life so that Buffy wouldn't be sad. You know, because essentially later he's like, I can't, I can't live with that. I can't live with any of the Summers women being unhappy. And he will do things to, like we see in this very episode, like 
we're we're all being gaslit by Spike right now because he will say that manipulative shit. And in this same episode, we see that moment where Buffy goes to him with Joyce and Dawn and like, you know, basically says, look, I need you to watch over them. You're the only one that's powerful enough. You're the only one strong enough to protect them. And she's just like looking at him like, Spike, I need you. And he's he softens and he's like, well, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's sit down and watch passions together. Let's do this. And this is the first time Buffy is going to him for protection. I think it's the first time I can remember anyway. And he, that is a moment where I actually wrote down, we're not even there yet, but I, I wrote down something like, oh, Buffy trusts him now. Like, so maybe, maybe Spike taking Buffy to see what Riley was doing was actually important to her. Like, maybe that was a turning point for her. And she now trusts Spike. I, at this point, and I never thought this before, but I really think Buffy knows at this point. Like, she acts all shocked later when she finds out. It's only going to be, like, another episode or two from now that we find out that Buffy finds out that Spike is in love with her. But I think she already knows. And it's one of those, one of those things where she knows, but she doesn't want anyone to know she knows. And she's just letting it hang there. She knows that she can... They're both manipulative, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> okay, where are we? Buffy gets in trouble for his critical thinking. Uh, my next note was, do we know Ben is Glory yet? I don't think we know that yet. We haven't seen... Or did we? No, we did. Didn't we? Wasn't there that locker scene? Oh! <gasps> I don't think we actually saw it happen, though. I think it was just we saw Ben, like, changing at the end of his shift in the locker room at the hospital. And then we see Glory in the same shot. But we think that she's just sort of coming out of the corner. So I think, like, I don't, I don't think we actually know that Ben is Glory yet. Um, Buffy comes to the shop after that, like, little encounter with Spike in the cemetery when he just negs her. Um, she shows up at the shop and sees that the Watcher's Council is there. At this point, she didn't know that they were there yet. She just knew that they were coming at some point. And she's like, oh, God. She almost, like, turns around and walks out the door. And... This is where, like, I was getting ahead of myself earlier, but this is where the council, you know, they, they are super condescending to her. They threaten to deport Giles if she's not cooperative with their little, and this is where they reveal that they're going to kind of put Buffy through a test. And Giles even says, you're not going to put her through some test again, are you? And, and they're kind of like, no, it's not a test. We're just going to examine her methods and blah, 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 blah. So like... Anyway, so they are super assholes. I wrote down this particular quote from Quentin, the head of the Watchers Council. He says, and this really got me. This pissed me off. I was as pissed as Giles is in this whole scene <laughs> in the background. He says, the council fights evil. The slayer is the instrument with which we fight. 
the council remains, the slayers change. This is so, so fucking over the top, misogynistic, dismissive, fucking power play bullshit. You know, like we are just, see what it is, is they're all there hanging out with their books while Buffy's doing all the work. And of course, Giles has said this sort of thing to them before, whenever he got fired. Like, just that, that fucking, just telling her that she is the instrument with which they fight. Like, she's just a fucking weapon. Like, she's just the sword that they pick up. Like, they're not fucking fighting. Like, she's, like, that's literal objectification of Buffy in this moment. Literal objectification. You are the instrument. We remain and you change. Like, like they don't want to get attached to her because she could die at any moment. Like, God, that pissed me off. That pissed me off more than anything else that Quentin fucking said. And at one, that really pissed Giles off too. She, he like, wasn't at that exact moment that he did this, but like a couple lines later, he just like, he just like loses his shit and starts coming at Quentin saying, she's not your bloody instrument. <laughs> and I just, the defensiveness for Buffy is so sweet. Like, I love that she has Giles, you know? It's just the relationship between Buffy and Giles is, like, one of the top five things that I love about Buffy, you know? Just that sort of, like, me getting to live vicariously through seeing someone else with a nice father figure, you know? <laughs> I want a Giles, goddammit. Where's my Giles? Um, oh, and after they leave, so they're kind of like, so we'll start your tests tomorrow. We'll, we'll give you a moment to regroup or something. And then they all leave. And, um, Giles and Buffy are talking afterwards. Cause I think they're the only ones there. Yeah. It was just the watchers council and the scene. It was just the, just Quentin, the lady watcher, the token lady watcher and a couple other dudes. There were only a, one or two that had lines other than Quentin and the chick. I should know what the chick's name is, but I don't. Um, but yeah, anyway, so whatever, like five to seven watchers, council people, and then Buffy and Giles were the only ones in this scene. So after they leave, it's just Buffy and Giles sitting together. And I really like this. I just love I, any scene that's just Buffy and Giles, like figuring out, strategizing, figuring out what they're going to do. Like, I like when the show leans into that relationship and they really do in this episode. Um, any episode that's like a Buffy and Giles relationship building episode is just, I'm so here for it. Um, so they're talking afterwards and, and Buffy's just like, what are they going to do? And, Giles is like, I don't know, but they'll make it as hard as they want to make it. Um, you don't have to submit to this, whatever. He breaks his glasses at one point because he's taking them off and he's cleaning them. And you, it's just his frustration. He just breaks his glasses. And that's such a good moment. It's almost like I wonder if that just sort of happened because Buffy just sort of like barely blinks. Like she kind of acknowledges that it happened, but neither of them comment on it. 
And so I wonder if that was something that actually happened. I wonder if Anthony Stewart had accidentally broke his fucking glasses because of how into the frustration acting he was, you know, he was going all in. Um, I'd like to think that it was an accident. I really, really liked what Giles says in this scene because, you know, Buffy's like, I don't, I don't know what to do. How am I going to do this? How am I going to answer these questions properly? Blah, blah, blah. And I love when he says, I just wrote down exactly what he says. The scandal isn't anything you've done. It's the way they're behaving holding what they know hostage because basically they're just kind of like well we'll tell you what we know about glory if you pass all of our tests you know because they haven't had any dealings with her for like two years and so they're using this moment when they need when she needs them she needs their information they're using this moment against her and it's so fucking shitty i kind of love this like Giles is the anti-gaslighter in this situation because, you know, she's having all these insecurities. Like, what do I do? How do I play this right? You know, like, I don't know how to answer their questions. What if I, what if I'm not good enough? You know, like, what if I don't measure up? Blah, blah, blah. I love that he's just like, it's not you, Buffy. It's them. And if you really think about it, like, Giles used to be very much under their thumb. Like, yeah, he's like the the rebellious watcher and like he has a dark past and all that shit. But he really gained a lot of strength and fight from Buffy, from his relationship with Buffy. He really learned something about himself through his relationship with Buffy. And that's the whole reason why he quit the council. That's the whole reason why he's not susceptible to their bullshit anymore. And when you think about it, this is actually like... He's such a strong person for being able to, like, when you think about, like, everyday life, how little, like, like, as we've seen <laughs> through our last presidency in the United States, how little people stand up to authority. There's been all kinds of, like, psychological studies to this effect. Like, the second you, you tell a group of people, this person is an authority figure to you, this person is a person in power people fall in line with that person nine times out of 10. They just don't even question it. Questioning authority is such a, an idea that needs to be, that needs to be reinstated all the time. Like you, it just like, you have to, you have to have critical thinking. You have to question authority and Buffy does it all the time. That's like Buffy's biggest personality trait is questioning authority. Like not only because she has a certain semblance of power, but because she's just, she's not going to take something at face value. There's like, I, I don't know what it's called, but like it's a psychological concept where in, um, particularly it, this starts when you're a teenager, when you're a teenager, you do not automatically respect authority. Like it's, it's part of your development that like at a certain point you, some, you know, a switch gets flipped and you don't automatically respect people in your life that are supposed to be authority figures like teachers and police officers and your parents, whatever you, you suddenly don't automatically respect authority anymore. And the thing about that is that particular part of the, your development as a teenager, whatever 
is you question authority and someone has to earn your respect before you then respect their place in the whatever societal hierarchy like they will it's just kind of like Buffy Buffy will respect you as a watcher she respected Giles as a watcher as soon as he gained that respect as soon as she realized she could trust him but not before then and it's something that most people as they mature into adulthood they they kind I don't want to say they grow out of it because I don't think that's a thing it's not like you are more mature when you just automatically respect authority figures. Um, but most people, when they become adults, they start just unquestioningly respecting authority. And I feel like we could really benefit as human beings from questioning it a lot more than we do. And having more of that mentality, like why not? Like I, I realize, like, a lot of this manifests in teenagers as being like super disrespectful and super salty towards every single adult around them. But I think we, we can strike a balance. Like once we're adults, like we know that we can't actually openly be super antagonistic all the time, but we can still look at people sideways and be like, well, I'm not just going to do everything you say simply because you're my boss, because there has to be, I mean, that's exactly why, or one of the big motivators for, like, why people in positions of power can take advantage of anyone under them, quote-unquote. That's why, like, so many, like, people in positions of authority are able to get away with assaulting people, you know, in whatever way they wish to assault them. You know, anyway, it's <laughs> just going down weird rabbit holes right now. It's not even late at night yet, guys. It's like 7.30. Oh, it's 8. <laughs> okay. I need to start, like, I've been talking for a long time already. Okay. So, Giles breaks his glasses, questioning everyone. Oh, I was like, yes, question authority. Yes, that's what I was just talking about. But no, I wrote questioning everyone because the next scene was the Watcher's Council is like talking to all of Buffy's friends. So it was kind of cute because you get like Xander and Anya talking. Xander seems very tired this episode. Um, I think it's a combination of them not giving Nicholas Brendan a lot to do in this episode. He didn't have a lot of lines. He didn't have a lot to do, but he could also be that as an actor, he's playing up the fact that he's just tired. His wrist is broken. You know, he just went through that whole scenario with the troll breaking his wrist in the last episode. And so maybe he's just tired, but, and maybe he's just playing that up, but like, he doesn't have very many lines. He's just sort of like, or maybe it's just, it's, it's another character development where Xander doesn't feel the need as a character in this part of his journey. He's matured a lot and he doesn't feel the need to like make all of these sort of like nervous, like what's, what's the thing when a, when a kid is like the funniest kid in class and he like has to be the funniest kid in class. What is that called? 
class jester or something. Like, he doesn't feel like he needs to be that guy anymore at this point in his development. So it's kind of nice that he's a little understated in this episode. And, like, I'm curious to see if that's, like, this is the point where he has made that development. I mean, I feel like this this season has had so many, like, okay... This is the moment where Giles becomes, or Xander becomes mature. This is the moment where Anya is accepted by everyone. This is the moment where Tara is accepted by everyone, and she starts to accept herself, because Tara has been so much more self-assured since that episode, that family episode. Um, Anyway. (laughs) I didn't even know I was going to talk this much today. Um, Anyway, so they're talking to them questioning them and there's just little funny moments where like um willow and tara are (laughs) describing their relationship they think that they're asking them about their relationship with each other when they're really asking what their relationship what each of their relationships are to buffy and so they're like we're we're lesbian gay type lovers (laughs) i just love that lesbian gay type lovers (laughs) Uh, that is a Facebook status right there. Lesbian gay type lovers. Okay. They, um, asked, they ask Willow and Tara what their magical profici- proficiency levels are. And they're both like, oh, I don't know, I've never heard of magical proficiency levels. And I love that Tara's like, five, we're level five. And then like Tara, Willow looks at her and she's like, oh, <laughs> I love that. That is just so, like, something that the old Tara, you know, a couple months ago, she wouldn't have even, she would have been too shy to even, like, answer that question. But instead, she was like, okay, there's some sort of magical proficiency level. I've never heard of this. I'm just going to make up a number right now and yell it out. <laughs> just love that. Um, my next note is Giles is so angry. <laughs> I don't remember that. What was he so angry about? at that particular moment that I wrote it down. Oh, it was during the, like, the scene where Buffy is blindfolded and she's supposed to fight one of the Watchers Council guys while Quentin is, like, yelling fighting terms at her in Japanese. And, of course, she doesn't know the Japanese fighting terms because that wasn't how she was taught to fight. And it doesn't fucking matter. It's arbitrary bullshit, you know? Um, but Giles is just like, he's trying to translate, but he doesn't really remember them all. And it's cute because he takes a second, like it takes him a while to try to translate for her. Once he, once Quentin says the like Japanese term for whatever it is he wants her to do in that moment, um, it takes Giles a second to translate. And he's just like, so fucking angry during this scene like why are you making her do this it is so fucking stupid I can't believe I have to stand here in my own shop and like it's never never in this whole episode it's never like he's he doesn't ever want to cooperate you know he doesn't ever ask Buffy to do this for him like even though he, they could shut his shop down and deport him, you know, they're making that threat and like, it's a very real threat, but he is not asking Buffy to, he's not disappointed in Buffy at any point because they can't 
pass because she can't pass any of their arbitrary tests. It's, I don't know. Anyway, the next scene is Glory shows up at Buffy's house to just to talk, just to tell her that she's a flea, she's a bug, all that stuff. And there's this really weird, awkward moment with when Dawn just happens to come in the room and Glory talks to her and Buffy is being like the way that she's acting. I feel like if I were Glory, I would think, wow, this chick must be the key with how she's reacting to the fact that, she, that she's in the room right now. You know, I would think that Dawn was the key from this moment, but I guess, I guess Sarah Michelle Gellar was told to act like that. Like, I totally understand, like, we're going to see Dawn just, like, really, really be super dramatic in a few episodes when she finds out she's the key. And that used to annoy me, but I totally get it now. Like, not only is it, like, it's about her identity, so of course she's going to overreact. And she's a teenager, teenager, so of course she's going to overreact. But not only that, but, like... All of these little moments where people are obviously keeping secrets from her. People are obviously acting super weird when she's around. People are treating her like a much younger child than she is. Like Buffy being weird and not letting her go spend the night at her friend's house that lives across the street. You know, like the overprotectiveness is ridiculous with Dawn right now. So, like, the way that she acts in a couple of episodes whenever she's yelling, you know how she gets. Get out! Get out! Get out! Whenever she does that, whenever she, like, slits her wrists, all that stuff, it's not actually as dramatic as it seems in that moment. I'm gonna go ahead and say it now. Like, we're seeing this build up in a very natural way. This is... I'm almost feeling like this show is the best it's ever been at this point. You know, I feel like the nuance is at the high, for sure, the nuance of the characters and the interplay between everyone and the development of the characters. All of that is on a much higher level than it's ever been at this point. Okay, where are we? Mm, that's when, okay, so after that scene with Glory talking to Buffy, like, I know you know where my key is. You better tell me where it is or I'm going to fucking kill you and whatever. The next scene is Buffy taking Giles and Dawn over to Spike's crypt so that they can baby, so that he can babysit them while she goes to deal with the fucking council because her last meeting with them is some verbal test of some sort. And oh, Quentin, whenever he was telling her about it, like, let's meet at seven o'clock tonight so I can ask you some questions or like the verbal part of the exam or whatever it is that he, however he words it. And he says to her something like, I'll give you until seven o'clock tonight so you can do whatever it is that you do to prepare. Like he just basically just so dismissive and awful towards her every step of the way. God. Anyway, <laughs> then we get that cute little moment where, like, Spike turns on the TV after Buffy leaves and, like, I'm going to watch Passion, so everybody be quiet. And then Joyce just, like, sits down right next to him and just immediately starts connecting with him. Oh, like, she's been watching it and she knows particular plot points and they just start talking about it. It's so cute. It's so cute how, like, Joyce is so, like, willing to connect with anyone. <laughs> 
<laughs> and Spike is totally in, too. Like, he has always really liked Joyce. Like, we've seen good moments between the two of them so many times. <sighs> Spike has gaslit us all, okay? That's what's happening. That's what hap- what's happening. He has manipulated all of us. And we're deep in it at this point. It's only going to get deeper. Quentin says to Giles at one point while they're waiting for her to show up. And everybody's there for some weird reason. I I don't think this makes sense that, like, Xander and Tara and Willow and Anya are all sitting up on the balcony watching these proceedings. Like, why would they? I mean, I guess because they're waiting for the moment where the council decides that Buffy is worthy of the information and they tell them the information, whatever. Um... But Buffy's late because she gets caught up by the Knights of Byzantium. Or You don't know that yet, but Quentin says to Giles at one point, your Slayer is 20 minutes late. Like, your Slayer? <laughs> She's everybody's Slayer, guys. You're the Watcher's Council. She's your instrument, remember? <laughs> so Buffy, this is the first time we see the Knights of Byzantium. She gets caught by them in like the alley on her walk to the magic box or whatever and magic box or whatever the magic box for the test or whatever is what I meant to say and she gets caught by the Knights of Byzantium and they're all telling her that she's their enemy now and there are legions of them and blah 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 and she takes one of their swords and she doesn't kill them because they're human so this is our first sighting of the Knights of Byzantium and they told her exactly who they were so she could immediately start doing research. Good on them. Um, then Buffy shows up, and she's probably like 20, 30 minutes late at this point. And they're like, you're late. And Buffy just immediately, you can tell something has shifted in her. She just immediately starts going into her speech. And it's great, and it's an iconic moment in Buffy history. She's just kind of like, you know what? No, this is how this is going to go. No one's going to interrupt me. I'm going to tell you how this is going to go. She just sets her sword down in front of Quentin. Very much like, you know I could kill you right now if I wanted to. (laughs) But I'm not. And she just sort of says, this is how this is going to be. I'm the Slayer. I'm the only one you got. You guys are the Watcher's Council. You're pretty much watching Masterpiece Theater if you don't have a Slayer. So you need to work with me. So here's how this is going to work. You're going to tell me the information that you have. And then you're going to go away. Then you're going to call me when you have more information. And you're going to work with me. We're going to see. You guys might be very good at your jobs. But we won't know until you work with me. And I liked this. It's too bad they didn't lean into this relationship because in this moment, it kind of looks like they all respond to this display of power and defiance and authority from Buffy. They all immediately fall in line. Like, this chick is displaying authority. We shall fall in line with it, like most people do with authority. And they do. And they seem like they fall in line with her in this moment, but that could have been an opportunity for future plots where we get more collaboration with the Watcher's Council, at least a mention of like, well, we call it the Watcher's Council, and maybe maybe that does happen, I just don't remember it. 
but it looks like this is the beginning of a possible more collaborative, less patriarchal relationship with the Watchers Council. It looks like that's what's going to happen. But I don't think it does. But anyway, so she does her little speech. It's really, it's a great empowering moment. And she, you know, demands that they start paying Giles. She should have demanded that they start paying her. But I know, I never shut up about the fact that she doesn't get paid and Giles does. But I'm never going to stop bringing it up. I'm just not. Angel gets to have angel investigations. He gets to get paid for what he does. Why doesn't Buffy get paid for what she does? God. Anyway, so she demands that Giles be reinstated as her watcher officially and that he get paid his full salary, that it be re that he get paid retroactive from the month that he was fired and all of that. And it's a great moment. And then the episode ends with like Quentin starts disseminating his information that he has about glory. And the first thing he says right before the credits is glory's not a demon because Buffy's like, what sort of demon are we dealing with? And the first thing that he says, that's part of his information that he has glory's not a demon. She's a God. So that was a really great, like little what moment. Like I remember that being a really powerful moment when I first saw it on TV. Um, it's just like, holy shit, they have upped the stakes. This is not just like some kind of vampire, some kind of demon, some sort of like, you know, extra special 75% pure demon or whatever the fuck. She's a fucking God. She is a hell God, as we'll find out, which what is the distinction between a hell God and a demon? I mean, we find out that, you know, a God is much more powerful, of course, but that's really great. You know, in many ways, Glory is the most powerful big bad ever on Buffy. You know, if we just go through all of them right now, it's not going to take too long. Let's do it. So season one, there's the master. He was basically just an ancient vampire. Like he was a little bit more powerful than other vampires because he was so old, but essentially he was just a vampire. That's the perfect big bad for the season, for season one of Buffy. The Vampire Slayer, you know, Mousy, the Vampire Slayer, you know, have you heard of her? Season two, the big bad was Angelus. Totally makes sense that like a boyfriend would be a big bad. That is a step up from just fighting a vampire. It's fighting a vampire that you have an emotional attachment to. That's an even worse evil, right? Then season three, the big bad is the mayor. So he's a demon. So you got vampire, old vampire season one, vampire that you have an emotional attachment to season two. <laughs> And then demon season three demon that is an authority figure. So it is, it, that is a symbol of, I was going to say a symbol of graduating high school, but not really. Cause he was the mayor for some reason. I was thinking that he was the principal for a second. Anyway, season four, the big bad is, I mean, that was just weird. I guess it doesn't, it doesn't amp up every season. Like season four was a departure on that. Like Adam was not a more threatening big bad than the ones before, but 
Glory is the biggest big bad because the big bad of season six is just yourself, you know? Like, it's your own angst. And I mean, I guess that's probably a bigger evil than a god, but yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Oh, and I'm making astral, I'm making tarot associations in my mind right now, too, because. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense to me. Because four is the emperor, is like masculinity. And that makes sense that the initiative created a monster out of different parts of a man. That that's who she had to fight against in season four, emperor year. <laughs> and then season five is five is Hierophant in the tarot, in the major arcana. And Hierophant is about like questioning your beliefs and it's about religion and, and morals and religious structure. So it makes sense that she's fighting a god in season five. <laughs> and then season six, six is the lover's card. And the way that I interpret the lover's card is that it's about knowing yourself. It's about like, you know, trials and tribulations with being at one with yourself and truly knowing who you are, know thyself, you know, that whole thing. So it makes sense that like the big bad of season six is just you, yourself, your own angst, your own like sort of immediately post pubescent early twenties angst and like all the shit that you go through. Like that's what season six is about. That's what the big bad of season six is. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna stop now. <laughs> I could I could go further, but I'm not gonna do that. Does that make Angelus the high priestess? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't all make sense. It's a little bit of a stretch. Let's just stop with that weird analysis. Anyway, so the very last line of the entire episode is she's a god. And then of course Buffy's like wide-eyed, like, what? <laughs> so that's nice. You know, we are over halfway through the season at this point, which is kind of weird to think about. But I mean, the way that it goes, it feels like I don't talk about Buffy that much during the course of the year because it's not really like, you know, we came in hot in October and like talked about an episode every week in October and then most of November. And then we had most of December off. And here we are only doing, we only did one episode all two episodes all month in January and then we're gonna have three episodes in February and like yeah anyway it feels like we are hurtling towards the end of the season at this point and I'm kind of like I kind of want to savor it a little bit longer but like yeah it's so weird that doing this project I've actually not watched a single Buffy episode the entire five years I've been doing this project. And that's really, really weird because I rewatch Buffy all the time, usually in my life. But since I started this project, since I'm spending so much extra time, just really savoring the episodes and watching them exactly 20 years later, I've been, I mean, at this point, I'm probably going to just do that the whole time. Like the whole time I thought that I was going to rewatch other seasons of Buffy, 
like whenever I wanted to. Like the rule has always been I, I can't watch the current season or any season thereafter, but I can watch any older seasons because the logic in my mind is 20 years ago they could be showing reruns of earlier seasons, but I don't know. That's always been my rule. But I haven't even watched any other episodes at all this whole time. I only watch the episodes when I'm talking about them with you guys and I do watch them several times during the week or whatever, but I haven't, obviously I haven't watched ahead, but I haven't watched any old episodes either. It's so weird that I haven't been rewatching Buffy this whole time. <laughs> um, but it's really kind of rewarding to watch it in this way. I don't know why I'm getting all sentimental about it right now, but I'm already kind of worried about like, you guys, I'm on season five. And at this point I'm over halfway through season five. Like we're going to be done with season five by like May, you know? And then uh, season six is really going to put me through it. As, as I remember it, season seven isn't even that great. Um, I mean, it, I didn't hate season seven, but overall, I think if I were ranking all the seasons, season seven would be at the very end of the list. Um, yeah, anyway, I'm already thinking like, oh God, what am I going to do? I don't want to stop having my podcast. So of course, what's this bitch talking about is just going to become about, I'm going to be talking about something else at that point. Um, but I just don't know what yet. Anyway, why am I talking about that? That's years in the future. Let's go ahead and end this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I really enjoyed it today because I didn't have to work today, so I'm not like super tired or anything. It's only like 8.30 at night right now, so it's not super late, even though it kind of feels like it because it's dark. It's real dark. Anyway, um, I really had fun tonight, so thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you in two weeks for the next episode, and yeah, let me know your thoughts anytime. Uh, my email is in the description notes, along with other information, like if you want a tarot reading from me, my Etsy shop information is in there. If you um, are interested in hearing, like, personal ramblings, you can become a patron, or you can just listen to my radio show. It's free to listen to my radio show, but um, you have to tune in at the exact time and place. Um, all the information for that is below as well. But if you do become a patron, then you'll get like my podcast episodes of my radio show, like the talking points of my radio show. So if for some reason you're interested in really personal ramblings, um, and I do kind of get into a little bit of that on this podcast, but most of the time I try to steer clear of that because this is heard by a lot more people than my, um, my patron podcast is. So I don't get quite as personal here, but if for some reason you're into that at any level of giving as a patron, you get access to those podcasts and, um, also monthly full moon tarot readings. I do those for my patrons and yeah, it's a good time. I'm really, I really enjoy all of the things that I do. Honestly, it's, it means a lot to me that anyone listens to me. Like ultimately I am just sitting in a closet in my house, holding a digital recorder in my hands and talking into it. And the fact that people listen to that is still sort of 
an amazingly strange concept to me. <laughs> it's kind of like, for me, I remember being endlessly fascinated for like the first 10 years that mp3 players existed the fact that you could potentially store all of your music on one device and then shuffle it that just absolutely blew my brain up and i just i'm still kind of like in awe of that fact and I'm always going to be in awe of the fact that anyone wants to listen to the stupid things that come out of my mouth. So the fact that anyone that's made it this long and is listening right now, you are so important to me. Thank you so much. And I'd love to hear your thoughts anytime. Send me an email. Um, I don't really do the social media thing. I am on Instagram again under Mixtress Ray if you want to follow me, but I don't really promote things that much on there. I just sort of show up every once in a while with a selfie or some tarot cards or something. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. You're the best and I will see you in two weeks. Bye.